What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But this isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for change makers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. Well, 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 we are back with another episode of Practice Good, and I am so excited to dig into this conversation on hard conversations. So oftentimes in social impact, hard conversations are one of our most dreaded parts of our week. In fact, I heard a leader say at a summit once that if you go through one day without a hard conversation, that's a good day for a leader. And I've found that to be so true. I encounter hard conversations on a regular basis. And if done well, most often they can contribute to a healthier, better atmosphere in the office. No one likes to have confusion. No one likes to shoot for invisible targets. No one likes to not know when their leader is frustrated with them or to have that sit down conversation that says, hey, this isn't working for us anymore. And you're going, I never even had a warning that I wasn't even doing what you expected. Hard conversations are a blessing for everyone. And yet they're the one thing that keeps us up at night. So today, I want to give you three tips to having hard conversations in a way that doesn't make you dread them or stay up all night the night before. So here we go. First, I wanted to talk to you about the aspect or the fundamentals of communication. Communication is when person A has a message to give person B. They're hoping that person B receives that communication in the same way that person A is intending. Now, oftentimes person A will say something and it goes as far as this is what I want to say. So this is how I'm going to say it. And we speak it in a way that we most likely will receive it best. However, we don't take into account the fact that person B has an entirely different set of communication techniques, of listening skills, of culture, of background, of personality, and they're receiving that message through this filter of complex um, interweaving characteristics that create kind of a film or a filter like Instagram, you know, it's a filter that they listen through. And this is where we often come into problems. When person A says something and person B walks away with a completely different message, or person A says something, thinks they're all on the same page, gives a high five and walks away and can't understand why person B didn't follow through with what person A had said because there was a break in communication and a lack of clarity. So I want to talk to you today 
about three things that can help you with those types of breaks in communication and also potentially help your situation and make those conversations less difficult. Number one, learn their personality type. I know this is crazy and it seems like a lot of work to do for every single person or every time you have a hard conversation, but it is so worth it. So let me explain a little bit more about this. There are several different types of personality tests and some are called personality, some are called strengths, some are called skills tests, all different kinds. But really as a leader, you should be having your team take these type of assessments because number one, you need to know how to effectively communicate with your team. You need to know, too, how to effectively build your team, how they interact together. And number three, you want them to understand one another as well in order to get better results. So some of those assessments include StrengthsFinder. That is my number one favorite. StrengthsFinder is put on by the Gallup polls, and really it has about 36 different types of strengths. And you take this about 40-minute assessment, and it gives you your top five. Um, And then there's a book that goes with it. It's about $14 for the book. You get a free assessment, or you can buy the assessment online for about $14 as well. And you will find your top five strengths. It will teach you all about how those five strengths interact together, what you're great at, what um, what you could work on, um, how you communicate best, all those things. Then you've got kind of the age old Myers-Briggs assessment. That's where you get your personality types. You've got ENFJ, you've got ESFJ, you've got all these different types of personalities where it kind of shows you how you react to stress, how you look at the world, how you communicate, where you get your energy from, and how you see things or whether you're intuitive, feeling, judging, all these types of things. Then you've got color assessments. There's been all kinds of these as well, where you could be a blue or a green or a red, or, and, and you can learn how you interact best with other colors, even in marriages, partnerships, workplaces, all of that. And then one last one that I'll mention to you is the Enneagram. This one is very in-depth, and I've gone years of, I've read an Enneagram book about a decade ago, and time has passed, and I've forgotten some of the things. I reread some things the other day, and there's a million podcasts on um, really interpreting and understanding your Enneagram number. I am a three, and then you'll have a wing of something else. So I believe I'm an Enneagram three with a wing of two, and it kind of tells you how those interact and how you interact with others. If you're married to someone, what that interaction would look like, all those types of things. So taking some time to do these in your workplace really helps your staff to understand one another, understand how they best get the results they need, and really helps you understand them. How do you empower your team and lift them up? So how does this help hard conversations? Number one, it helps you learn who you're communicating with. So if I am person A and I'm communicating a message to person B, I need to know how person B is hearing the communication that I'm sending, right? I also want to know how do they learn? How do they get motivated? What motivates them? So if I'm trying to give them a hard piece of information, I want to know what's going to motivate them towards that. Just having a difficult statement or conversation doesn't always get us to where we want to go. This also helps me to understand how they receive communication. Often the way people receive communication is also the way they give it. So you can learn that by watching them. 
but it does help to kind of learn some of these dynamics so you can understand them better. Kind of a side note, and it's not necessarily used for team building, nonprofits or leadership, but I would recommend also another test, which is just the love languages test. It's got five love languages and it will tell you which two are your kind of predominant ones, how you give and receive love, how you understand love, and that's often how you communicate as well. This There's a lot of books on this. They have this with mainly within marriages, but you can definitely learn about what motivates people by understanding their love language. And that's kind of a fun thing you could do with your team as well. I believe the five love languages are you feel love through time. You feel like quality time. If somebody were to give you quality time, you would feel really loved by them. There's gifts, right? You feel really loved by gifts, words of affirmation. It's that verbal recognition of their work. Um, I'm trying to think here, I'm remembering touch. So that one might not be as appropriate in the workplace. Um, but it's definitely good to know, even if it's a handshake or a pat on the shoulder or things like that. Be careful though, because there are cultural differences too. I know my dad for years, um, he worked with a gentleman from the Philippines and their what in their culture, if you touch someone's head, it is a sign of disrespect. And he was also a mechanic. So he would work under the car. And then these guys would like kind of tap him on the head as they walk by like as a little hello. And they found through a long series of events and conversations that he was actually feeling very disrespected. So remember, touch can also be, um, you know, understood differently in different cultures as well. So the love languages, I think I mentioned four of the five, we've got time, quality time. We've got words of affirmation. We've got gifts. We've got touch. And there is one more that I'm forgetting, <laughs> but I will remember and I will tell you. But that is kind of a cool assessment as well. And if you take a combination of these assessments, you'll really begin to understand your staff. Now I've done Strengths Finders, Myers-Briggs, Colors, um, and I don't, we haven't done Enneagram yet. And some of them know their love languages, but we have not done those as a team. But what it does help is when I go into hard conversations, I will literally pull open my database of who is what personality and who has what strengths. And I will read them to myself. I'll think through the conversation I'm about to engage in. I will remember that as I'm moving forward into that conversation. For example, I am an ENFJ on the Myers-Briggs. That's an extrovert, intuitive, feeling, judging we communicate in a way that's persuasive. We like to feel like we have common ground with someone. We're very social. We like to know that someone has received the help that we have offered. And it really helps to know not only their personality, but like my personality. So when I'm communicating to an ESFJ and I am an E. NFJ, I want to know the differences between that N and that S. How do I communicate? What sides do I err on? What do I understand? And how might that other person perceive what I'm saying? So in communication, we're not only wanting to study the person that we're communicating to, but we're also wanting to understand how we and our unique personality also relays that information to someone with a different personality. So number one, learn their personality types. Number two, understand the culture differences. So I want to talk to you specifically today about the difference between low and high context cultures. Now you can get a lot of this information from some really good sources online, and I'm going to give you that information in a minute, but I just want to break this down for you and why it's important. We need to understand 
cultures. If we just fill our positions with a colorful staff, but we don't take the time to understand where people come from and how they're understanding our culture, the way we're working in our macro culture, as well as our micro organizational culture, we are going to miss things. And while we might be diverse, we will not be inclusive because we will be only understanding the culture in which we operate and not the cultures that we hired into our organization. So this is so important. If you're wanting to have hard conversations, really look into the difference between low and high context cultures. There are many factors that play a role in communication, but a great resource for this one specifically is Erin Meyer. Erin Meyer, she's the author of The Culture Map. She also was a part of the leadership, the Global Leadership Summit several years ago. She talks about this concept of low context cultures and high context cultures. So let me break it down. Low context cultures are assuming there is a low level of shared reference points. This means that we believe that good, effective, and professional communication is very explicit, clear, and simple. In low-context cultures, we tell you what we're about to tell you, then we tell you it, and then we tell you what we just told you. So it's this intro, body, and conclusion that really say the same thing three times. In high context cultures, we assume we have a larger body of shared reference points. Good professional communication is layered, implicit, and nuanced. This is an assumption that there is a shared layer of understanding. It's kind of like an explanation of don't listen to my words, but listen to the meaning behind my words. You want to read the atmosphere a lot and really all the subtle unspoken messages. It's not what I say that matters, but what I'm meaning behind the words I say. My husband and I ran into this a lot when we first got married. He is from Nigeria, the continent of Africa, which is very high context cultures. There's a lot of assumptions that are happening there. They share a lot of reference points. America doesn't share a lot of reference points. So we're much more linear in our communication and much more explicit. So I would say things to my husband that are very clear and very specific and he equated that specificity to harshness. So when he would communicate to his staff and I would communicate to my staff, the way we would communicate were completely different. If I wanted someone to be on time, I would say, hey, we need you to be on time. My husband might say, hey, I've been noticing that you might be having some troubles with your car lately. The low context cultures tend to get right to the point. The high context cultures tend to speak in circular terms about concepts that are they're hoping people would begin to pull meaning from and understand those messages. If you're looking at a linear scale of all of the low context cultures on the left side and progressing all the way to the right side of high context cultures, you're going to find a lot of the Anglo-Saxon cultures on the left side. America, the U.S. is way on the left side. Then you've got some, you know, Germany, you've got, you know, Ireland, all these different things. Then you're hitting kind of mid to right side. You're going to get more of the Latin American cultures, then heading into the African cultures. And finally, on the right-hand side, which is very low context, you're going to find a lot of the Asian cultures. It makes me think of um, growing up, we had three different 
Japanese exchange students. And when we were taught about cultural appropriateness, one of the things they would always tell our family was about hugs. America, we give hugs all the time. But in Japanese culture, it's um, something you do not do in public and you predominantly only do with immediate family. And so they talked to us a lot about how our Japanese exchange students might you know, be polite and say yes, even though they're really wanting you to understand and read between the lines that no, they don't want a hug. Another thing is often they might say no to something you've offered them three times. And then finally, on the fourth time, they'll say what they really want. So there was kind of this implied understanding that we'll be polite, polite, polite until you really push us. And then we'll tell you what we really want. So our Japanese exchange students, their names were Yumi, Mayumi and Sayaka. And growing up, we learned so much about culture just by having a high context culture in our home for so long. That teaches you a lot about the differences in your organization. Again, I would recommend looking up Erin Meyer. She has a great book. Um, She's got lots of videos, YouTube videos, TED Talks, those kind of things. I would encourage you to kind of think through your staff. Where are they from? Are they from Latin American culture, African culture? Now remembering African cultures are very different. There's many different African cultures. There's also differences in African American or Black American cultures. You've also got Latin Americans who've come to the US and adopted to some more localized American cultures as well. So when you're thinking through how you're communicating to your staff in hard conversations, think not only about the context in which they are coming from, but the context in which you're coming from, and then the context in which you're both working within. You've got the macro culture of the country of America, you've got the micro organism culture of your organization. And then you've got two other cultures that are kind of breeding into that. So really think through how that conversation could go. An example might be that if you have to tell your team that because of COVID, you now have to decrease salaries, right? For me, as an American, I would love for you to just tell me right out. Just tell me what you want to say. Stop beating around the bush. You might want to change that pattern from a linear pattern to a more cyclical pattern for someone from an Asian culture or a Latin culture or an African culture. You might want to imply certain things and allow them to pull meaning out of that. Also understand that people from other cultures who are working with you probably are in America. Therefore, they have adopted some of the American communication um, standards. And so while you might go fully cyclical and try to (laughs) allow them to imply certain things, and they might have adapted a lot to the linear communication, and in that you might lose them as well. So just make sure they're understanding fully what you're talking about and find ways to utilize your understanding of culture and low and high context cultures in order to better communicate to your team. I also wanted to mention here on number two that there are several other things about culture that you'll want to take into consideration. You'll want to take into consideration power differences. Every culture has high and low power or authority differences. I found this in a situation of mine where I had a staff person from the West Indies who was incredible. But what I learned was that she had all these great ideas, but she wouldn't communicate them to me because I was her boss. And I was 
aching to really get the fullness of her potential out. But because her culture said, you you know, you always respect authority, you never talk back to them, you always say yes, you always submit. I felt like I was losing a lot of her wealth and wisdom from that cultural understanding. So what I realized was that I had to give her permission. I had to sit down with her and say, hey, you have so much wisdom and expertise. You've been here far longer than I have. And the best way that you can give me respect, which I knew you know, she was trying to do, is to give me your full opinion. If I tell you an idea, and if it's a stinky idea, and you've already tried it, or it's not good, I need you to communicate that right back to me. And that kind of permission just opened all kinds of doors, because we developed together between she and I an understanding of what respect will look like. So understanding those differences was huge and pivotal in us being able to build capacity and work better as a team. And it was so good to have that hard conversation. Some other things you're going to want to consider when you have multiple cultures is some cultures have different degrees of their desire to avoid uncertainty. Let me say that again. Every culture has a desire to avoid uncertainty at different levels. Some cultures are more okay with higher levels of uncertainty and other cultures do not want any uncertainty. My guess would be the more linear cultures prefer the lack of uncertainty And the more cyclical, high context cultures, those have more uncertainty. They they allow more room for uncertainty, more room for ambiguity, more room for kind of you have to create your own moral to the story and kind of grasp that understanding. Every culture also has a degree of egalitarianism, gender egalitarianism. You'll want to consider that as well. Sometimes that affects things. If you are a male running an organization and you have females or males from other countries, you're going to want to understand their level of egalitarianism for that leader. If you have a female leader, but you have males from other countries, you're going to want to understand the dynamics between the respect level that they give women. And that is an We could do an entirely other podcast on that. A great podcast actually that I've been on before is Faith and Feminism. They talk a lot about egalitarianism in different forms, different workplaces, different cultures, things like that in relation to the Christian perspective. So I encourage you to check that one out. There are also different things that you should consider like future orientation. Different cultures plan ahead differently. I am a huge planner. My husband's kind of a live in the moment type person. (laughs) He's kind of like, just thank God for every day that you have. And for me, that drives me nuts. Like I need to know my goals for this year, my plan for this year and the next year, you know, so every culture is a little bit different. But I think in creating our own culture in our home, we have slowly kind of come more towards one another. I live a little bit more in the moment. And he has, he has come to kind of give me the clarity and certainty in us sitting down and planning out our future together. But this happens in the workplace as well. Also consider things like the degree of collectivism. Um, Every culture has a level of individuality. And this also helps to understand why are some people talking in the office a lot and others are sitting in cubicles. You really need to understand what 
the rewards in their culture are for the level of communication, the level of interconnectedness within that culture. There's also performance rewards, rewards for the level of humanity or humaneness, if that's a word, um, solidarity, like um, certain cultures give rewards, collective rewards to people who have more compassion and empathy versus other cultures who really value that in a lower level. When you look at languages, if someone has a first language that is not English, there are going to be different categorical assumptions made because of the word translations. So you'll want to consider that sometimes a word will mean something in America that will mean something very different when translated into another language. So really considering language differences. Cultures are different in terms of pragmatism, moralism, nature versus reality, what types of truths that people understand as real, the use of space. Different cultures are have less personal space. Some feel like if I'm walking from point A to point B and you cross that space, you're crossing my space that I already own. Other cultures get right up in your face. Some stand in lines, some stand in groups. This can also help you understand how to have hard conversations because in choosing your distance and space and how you tell a person where you tell a person can really affect how they receive it. And finally, the use of time. Many cultures are monochromatic, which is American culture oftentimes, but then there's also cultures that are polychromatic. Some people are very much, you know, we are linear in how we think about time as yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Other cultures kind of use the same word for yesterday, today, or tomorrow. And you really have to read between the lines as to what they're talking about. So understand relation to time, which also helps perspective on how people work. If you want to look further into some of these ideas, I would really recommend the book Organizational Culture and Leadership, the fifth edition by Edgar H. Schein, S-C-H-E-I-N. That book is really like a textbook. It goes into a lot of details about the differences in culture, how those Macro cultures affect the microculture of your organization. Number one, let's just review quickly, learn their personality types. Number two, understand their culture. And number three, this is one of my favorites, and this is why I ended on this, but remember that every conversation is a gift. Every conversation is a gift. So if you're walking into a hard conversation, you have to find the gift that you're giving them, okay? Ask yourself, what gift am I giving them? I believe that everyone wants clarity. Even if you're, it doesn't matter what culture you're in, everyone really wants to understand, am I doing well? Am I hitting the mark? Am I beyond the mark? Am I not even close to the mark, right? You always want to know when you're doing the right thing or if you're off track. You never want to find out that you're off track when you're so far gone that you're like, wow, I wish somebody would have told me two years ago that they didn't want me to do that, right? Or I wish before I got that termination letter that someone would at least have told me that they were expecting the goal to be double what they had told me to begin with, or maybe they hadn't told me a goal to begin with, right? So having hard conversations are always a gift. I want to give you an example of a hard conversation I had years ago with a staff of mine and how I was able to turn 
a hard conversation into a gift for him. Several years ago, I was the assistant director of a dormitory for two freshman dormitories at New York University. And I came into work one day and I oversaw several staff persons who then oversaw several student workers. And I came into the office and I noticed that the student worker who was supposed to be at the front desk that day wasn't there. I assumed that his boss, so the staff worker that was over him, had talked to him about it, so I didn't mention it. I came in another day and noticed it again. So I figured I should say something. So I went to his staff person. I said, hey, is so-and-so here today? And she said, kind of put her hands up in the air. I was like, I don't know. He does this all the time. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, the trains are late. And then he's got some reason why, you know, this and that. And I said, okay, I understand. I mean, the trains are pretty crazy in New York. You know, in my mind, it was a leadership issue. It always comes back to a leadership issue. Why are we not holding one another accountable? Why are we not communicating in a way that someone understands our expectations? Or maybe we haven't communicated and therefore they think that this behavior is acceptable. So of course, I don't want to go around her because she's technically oversees him. So I said to her, do you mind if I have a conversation with him and maybe I could help this situation? And she's like, oh yeah, that would be awesome. So I said, okay, when he comes in, do you mind sending him to my office? She said, okay. So he comes in later that day and he comes into my office. He's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. You know, the trains, this and that. And then, you know, he had a lot of chaotic story to tell me. And I listened, of course, and I talked to him and let's just pretend his name is Tim. And I said, hey, Tim, you know, we love you here and we think you do an excellent job, but we need you to be here on time. We expect you to be here on time. And if we allow you to continue to be late, we are setting you up for failure in the future. Our job here is to empower you and equip you to go out of this place and to grow in your responsibility and get promotions and land a job and be in a place in your life where that you love and that you are doing well and that you're impacting the world. And if we continue to not say anything and you continue to be late, and then one day you get a job and you're late one or two times and your boss just fires you without any notice, it is going to be my fault because I did not equip you, prepare you, and prepare you to be successful out in the real world beyond this position. This position is a stepping stone for you, and I am disempowering you And I'm giving you a disadvantage in the world if I don't tell you the truth about this. Nobody else will put up with this. And so here's what I'm saying to you. I love you. We love you. We love having you here. Your personality is infectious. You do an awesome job. But you have one more opportunity to be late. And after that, if you're late a second time, you're telling me that you don't want my mentorship in this area. This is how I am investing and empowering you to live a successful life and career. And as long as you're with us, I am going to push you to be the best version of you. I'm not going to fire you, but on the second time that you're late, you are giving me a message that you don't value my mentorship. And he was like, oh man, I totally do. I love it here and I'm so sorry. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, no problem. And we laughed and whatever we did and he was never late again. 
I didn't have any problems with him. There were no attitude problems. He didn't go and sulk. He didn't feel belittled or diminished. It wasn't this awkward silence. It was simply an empowering conversation that told him the very truth that I am here to empower him for his future. But at the same time, I could not allow him to work here without accepting my mentorship to allow him to get to the next place. And he received that as a gift and he walked out of there a changed young person. So this is the type of conversations I'm telling you. Uh, We as social impact leaders have opportunities to give every single day as gifts to people. And the only way we can do it is if we learn their personalities, we learn their cultures, understand their cultures, And we remember that every conversation is a gift because at the end of the day, whatever I'm saying is only as powerful as them receiving it in the way that I intended. So these are three simple ways for us as nonprofit leaders, as social entrepreneurs, as impact leaders, change leaders, to make sure that our message is clear and understood in the way that we want and intend for it to be received. Hey guys, it was so fun to talk to you today. I hope you really learned a lot and found it to be valuable. If you are loving these podcast episodes and would like for others to listen to and your friends to be empowered to live their good intentions in the world, please share on your Instagram, your Facebook page, um, head to the iTunes review and click five and then uh, let us know what you think in the review section share it with some people. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you will be notified when we put out new episodes. And finally, you can actually find me on Facebook if you go to Shiloh Kashima. I have a page there. You can let me know what you think. If you have ideas that you would like me to talk about or teach about, or if you have a question for me, I would love to help you in any way I can. Thanks so much for joining us today. I look forward to talking to you next time.